0: Yeah, so I, uh, you know, we we talked a lot about prayer book revision and and, um, revisiting A068, the resolution from General Convention 2018. Right. uh, Which, among other things, let me pull up the language around it just so that we're uh, not misquoting anyone. Resolve that bishops engage worshiping communities in experimentation and the creation of alternative texts to offer to the wider church, and that each diocese be urged to create a liturgical commission to collect, reflect, teach, and share these resources with the Piber, mm-hmm. the Task Force on Liturgical and Prayer Book Revision. And it strikes me that not a lot of places have done this, right? Not a lot of places have actually engaged in this uh, sort of tinkering with liturgical language and gathering uh, these resources from across the diocese.
1: And collecting and teaching. Right. Yeah.
0: So... Um, And, I, you know, I make no bones about the fact uh, uh, about where I stand in terms of prayer book revision. So anyone who, like, follows me on Twitter or has paid attention to anything I say knows this. But just to put my cards on the table, I am in favor of modest revision, okay? Mm Mm-hmm. I am in favor of a revision along the lines of every revision of the prayer book that's happened in history, not like what happened between 1928 and 1979.
1: Okay. So basically you're in favor of like the 79 book, but with a green cover.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, right. So but maybe ch-
1: may, may a different typeface. <laughs>
0: Uh, no, I don't think I want to mess with the typeface. <laughs>
1: good, me neither. <laughs> it's a good
0: it's a good typeface.
1: Speaking speaking of which, I, I don't I have to say I don't love whatever typeface it is that the Episcopal Church is using for trial liturgies and things that they're putting out. I'm not sure what it is or what it's called, but, um, I mean, if you want to go kind of the sans serif way, I would take a page out of the church of England's book. I think that, that gill sans or whatever they're using, um, kind of looks a little bit better than what the Episcopal church is using at the moment.
0: Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a fair criticism.
1: I mean, not to get too far into the weeds, but why else do people listen to this podcast?
0: <laughs> yeah, I printed something out that's sans Serif uh, from the 78th General Convention, and it is uh, not my favorite. It's not my favorite look.
1: It just has the feeling of sort of, uh, you know, this is the default typeface on Microsoft Word. Right. <laughs> e- even though I know it's not that typeface, it, it yeah. just kind of reads that way. Anyway, I, I cut you off from uh, setting up your, your conversation about revision.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, so basically, cards on the table, I'm in favor of a modest revision. Um, I think that what needs to take place is fixing of the things that are clearly wrong or mistaken or misguided about the 1979 Book of Common Prayer. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of people try to call this what was one of the possible options in the lead up to last General Convention, which was, I think, technical fixes. Is that what they called them?
1: Yeah, I remember I remember seeing that term bandied about.
0: Yeah, and, you know, like, the thing is, we've never had a mechanism for a, quote, technical fix. Like, that's prayer book revision. That's what prayer book revision is.
1: But we did, or did we not execute one when we included the revised common lectionary? At the back of the prayer book.
0: Yeah, I mean that's a, that, that's, that's that's kind a s- of a gray
1: area, but I think that actually did represent prayer book revision to some degree.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so we went we went about that very very deliberately, and we're very very conscientious about it. And I worry sometimes that quote unquote technical fixes is just a way to sort of make this all seem very benign and very insignificant. And I want to be clear, like, this is revision. Like, if we're talking about changing things, even things that we know are wrong,
1: mm-hmm.
0: we owe it to people to be very upfront about that. That's why the bar for prayer book revision is so high, because we shouldn't be tinkering with these things, saying it's a technical fix just because we think that's going to be easier or that's going right. to lower the bar.
1: Right. Okay, so now you've really got my interest peaked because you know how I am with typos in the hymnal.
0: Uh-huh
1: and you've just made reference to things in the prayer book that are wrong. So are you right. saying there are there typos in the prayer book?
0: Uh there are not many typos that I'm aware of, although there are uh sort of there are some ambiguities that are unexplained for sure. Okay. Um and then there are there are again not typos exactly, but there are parts of the the Book of Common Prayer that are needlessly difficult to use.
1: Hmm. Okay. Well, I guess uh, I, I'm trying to remember other things we've talked about. One thing that you've talked about is the um, uh, the kind of last rites section of the prayer book.
0: Yeah, administration at the time of death.
1: I mean, I guess that just assumes that you're in an Episcopal hospital and you're going to have prayer books lying around.
0: Right. I mean, I but, guess.
1: But is that that's the kind of thing where you sort of ask? you know does this need to be included in the prayer book if people are expected to have access to it
0: right right yeah. Um, yeah is there a way to make that particular liturgy do what it's intended to do that doesn't require every single person there having a copy of the book of common prayer because it's right. just it's just not possible or it's just, it's not terribly feasible
1: i don't know and that's that's kind of a that's kind of a vexed question and i'm a little bit sorry i brought it up now because you know, on the one hand, yeah, where else are you going to put this except the Book of Common Prayer? And that yeah. that way, you know, you can guarantee that the priest has access to it sort of almost at all times.
0: Right. Right. And it is, I mean, it is an important liturgy, so you don't want to relegate it to a secondary book like the Book of Occasional Services.
1: Or even a separately published supplement, you know, exactly. as, as, as useful as that may be, um, you know, the, the likelihood that you're going to have enough of those on you is equally low yeah but yeah. the
0: reality is you're it needs to be a text that's available as broadly as possible but even so it's not going to be available so broadly that every single person in the room as someone is actively dying has a copy of it
1: yeah right right
0: um so you need to do a better like we need i think a better liturgy that isn't variable congregational responses where everyone needs to know their line every single time. Um, you know, there are other, you know, so there are other things like Ash Wednesday, the, sur- the liturgy says, the rubric at the beginning says, on this day the celebrant begins the liturgy with the salutation and the collect of the day. Salutation is a term that's not defined anywhere.
1: Mm-hmm. So other th- Other than, say, like commentaries on the prayer book.
0: Right, right. Yeah. But not defined anywhere within the prayer book. And we know what that means because we know what Ash Wednesday looks like. But why did we not just print the Lord be with you there, you know? And
1: further, furthermore, why did we not just print the Collect of the Day?
0: Well, we did.
1: Oh, okay. Sorry. we did, not No, getting... but
0: I, I mean, but that's, the th- that's what makes it even more bizarre. It says, on this day, the celebrant begins the liturgy with the salutation and the Collect of the Day. And the next line is, let us pray, and then the Collect. So, I see. So, you've got two lines of rubric that eliminates the need for... The Lord be with you, and also with you. Like, what is you, the point of that? You
1: could, yeah, you could have just inserted two lines of the liturgy at that yeah. point.
0: Yeah, so it's yeah. just one of those things that's that's, you know, it's not a it's not a massive problem, but it's needlessly obscure. Right. And the same is true of say morning prayer. Um, we have to be cognizant of the reality that more and more people are not raised in the church. And are not particularly not raised in the Episcopal Church, and mm-hmm. even more particularly, even if they were raised in the Episcopal Church, probably weren't raised somewhere that has a habit of daily morning and evening prayer mm-hmm. so morning prayer is not part of people's rhythm all the time, and there's a way to make our morning prayer right a lot more user friendly than it actually is,
1: yeah, and so here's a uh Yeah, this is a very good point. And I think I'm just going to hazard a guess Uh that one of your big criticisms of that morning prayer rite is that you, you know, even if you sort of know which canticle you're going to use, you still have to wade through like a whole bunch of them Yes. to get to to the next part of the service. Yeah. And so here's an instance where um, kind of our desire for choice and flexibility has resulted in, you know, these pages of the book being some of the least user-friendly pages uh that were produced
0: right and the and if you look at more recent versions of of uh prayer books like the acna book of common prayer that mm-hmm. was just produced this year the 2019
1: and, and maybe we should say what acna is so yeah the, no
0: the anglican church in north america right okay The Acne prayer book Morning Prayer is infinitely more user-friendly than the 1979 Morning Prayer because what they did is they printed exactly two canticles and they made a decision about what the quote-unquote historic canticles are, Mm -hmm. Um, but they printed those two canticles in Morning Prayer and then they had a separate section elsewhere that you could look for additional canticles.
1: Okay. That Which, that makes sense.
0: It makes perfect sense so that if you are new to the right, you can read through it and it's much more easy it's 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 basically one read through without having to keep jumping back and forth between things, but they actually still preserved a lot of that breadth of possibility just not in line with the rest of the morning prayer text right. It's just a, it's just a much more user-friendly version of it, um, and I think that we have to be realistic about the fact that that's sort of what we need if we want more people to be serious about morning prayer. We have to about make the, it about so the that, daily office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that we have to make it so that people can pick up the book and actually pray morning prayer?
1: Because Evensong song is not quite so bad, is it? Or it no, it be, evening prayer a is a case. lot
0: is a lot more straightforward, um, because there's only two canticles.
1: Right. And maybe, um, maybe we can give some credit to the music there for kind of establishing, um, you know, more of a, there's more weight of a tradition there, I think, that the Magnificat and the Nunc Dimittis are your conventional evening canticles.
0: Yeah. And the other thing that's a little confusing about morning prayer is uh, the the overabundance of opening sentence options. It, you know, again, I think we might be better served to have three or four possibilities, and then the rest somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the antiphons um, for the psalter. And this is probably going to get me in trouble with you.
1: Not necessarily. Okay.
0: I, I think it would be preferable to print the antiphons elsewhere and not in line with the bulk of morning prayer, because for the most part, antiphons are going to be used in one of two situations. A, in a place that sings the psalm there instead of speaks it, mm-hmm. in which case an antiphon makes a lot of sense as a refrain. Or as a spoken refrain in a place that really, really has a regular habit of praying the office.
1: Right, because the antiphons are kind of there to color the otherwise regular reading of the psalm.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And so I I think that if I think printing the psalm antiphons somewhere else so that they're available for, for those situations would would make a lot of sense. But that then if someone just wants to pick up the book and pray morning prayer, they don't have to worry about what is an antiphon and how do I use one? Because there are plenty of people, including plenty of clergy, who are not 100 percent clear on how to use an antiphon in the Psalter. It's just if you're if you are not, um, it's not that it's that it is wildly out of the out of place necessarily it's just Mm -hmm. it's a lot of text in between if you're praying this by yourself Mm -hmm. it's a lot of text between halfway down page 80 and the um picking out the uh the invitatory that you're going to be using that you have to say i don't know what to do with all this
1: right no i i hear what you're saying that it literally gets in the way yeah 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 if 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 it's not something that you want to use yeah that is a little bit tricky though and i don't know i also wonder about you know the possibility of including antiphons for the rest of the psalms but that's that's even more of a yeah of a boondoggle to try to print yeah 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 this is where um you know something like uh derek olson's saint Bede's psalter uh-huh. Become, becomes an incredibly useful resource because, you know, there with a the click of a button, you know, all this stuff is sort of populated for you without having to, to click around on uh, or flip, flip around on pages of a book.
0: Right, right. Yeah. But you could, you could have that available and still print morning prayer in the Book of Common Prayer in a way that someone can just sit down and essentially read it with the Bible and know what they're doing.
1: Yeah. So what would you suggest kind of in in very practical terms? I mean, do you want to do away with the opening sentences there?
0: I would, I would have, you know, three or four all purpose opening sentences, all season opening sentences, and then a note saying additional opening sentences, including seasonal ones can be found on page whatever.
1: Mm hmm. And because you got you got quite a bit there. Is it four full pages?
0: It's something like that.
1: Seventy-five through seventy-eight. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, those are. That's a lot to wade through. If you pick it up and you turn to the page that says "Daily Morning Prayer," um, then yeah, you can read the you can read the rubric that says it begins with one or more of these sentences of scripture or with the versicle "Lord, open our lips." On page eighty. But you still may end up wading through all this, wondering, should I use some of these? What seasons are included? And I just don't think I don't think there's the need for that, you know. Mm-hmm. I think I think it would be better to have something that says, you know, one of these three sentences, and then jump right into um, the confession.
1: So the, I don't know. This kind of brings up an interesting point because you see here in the 79, this kind of idea that, you know, we have to lay out a lot of choice for people. We have to lay out a lot of opening sentences.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We have to lay out a lot of canticle options within the body of the liturgy itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I think largely the Episcopal church has kind of taken the choice ball and run with it. Yeah. Cause now we have, uh, you know, supplemental volumes that include additional choices, and <laughs> lo and behold, one of the things they offer are additional opening sentences
0: <laughs> and additional canticles
1: and additional canticles. Exactly right. And
0: some of those are absolutely brilliant. You know. The, oh sure. Um, oh sure. The, the Eow. Yeah. One of one of the one of the best things that Eow Volume One does is include Philippians two, the kenosis hymn, mm-hmm. as a canticle option for morning prayer. There is mm-hmm. no reason we shouldn't we shouldn't have done that long before EOW and there's no reason that shouldn't be a canticle option because it is a Christic hymn included in scripture. So it's, it's, it's perfect as a morning prayer canticle.
1: Sure. Yeah. So if we if we bring this kind of full circle to um, prayer book revision, Uh you know, is it is it the intent with publishing things in EOW and, you know, other other theoretical trial liturgies and resources that may be being developed now at the diocesan level? You know, isn't it to some degree the intent that things like that would be included in a future in a future prayer book?
0: That was I mean that was certainly the idea behind EOW, and I think that um, there are enough people who are not big fans of EOW that I'm skeptical that we're ever going to include you know one of the EOW prayers wholesale into a, the next book of common prayer. But I don't know. But it's clear that that's, that was the intent, that these were trial use liturgies to sort of try on, see how they fit, um, maybe maybe modify, maybe maybe tweak a little bit, and then eventually um, use it as, as something more than trial use, eventually authorize as liturgies of the church, um, potentially in, in the next Book of Common Prayer. Now, I don't know that EOW is ever going to get there, but um, but one of the things that I'm doing because I'm in favor of this sort of modest revision of fixing the things that need to be fixed is basically I'm, gonna, I'm starting a blog that where I'm going to lay out everything that I see that needs to be changed, you know? Cool, yeah. Uh, because I think that's... I, I worry that we're not making that case, that you have people who think, the 79 is fine even if there are problems with it so we shouldn't revise and then you have people who think, think eow is too conservative um and so we need something even even more um even more theologically expansive mm-hmm. um i i just don't i don't think those are the only two ways forward you know, I think that we can, I think that we can continue to, to authorize trial use texts and try them out and see how they work, but we can move, we can at least start to move forward on fixing the things that we know are wrong with the
1: 1979. Yeah. So, um, maybe you could lay out a few more things that you think are wrong with the 79. Am, am I right in remembering that the capitalization of the word altar is not necessarily consistent throughout the book. Uh
0: that's that's possibly very, very true because the um the capitalization is one thing where the where it's not necessarily a hundred percent consistent all throughout. Um other things, um you know the Great Litany is fantastic. The one that's published in EOW is a lot less so to most people's mind. Um, I don't know I don't know a whole lot of people who are really satisfied with the great litany that's published in e o w
1: yeah i think I don't know I think opinion varies on that and um I think one of the reasons that you hear for someone wanting to use the e o w great litany mm-hmm. is that it's shorter yeah um, but I don't know that that's the point of the great litany
0: <laughs> well and i know who I know people who aren't satisfied with the the language of the Great Litany in the Book of Common Prayer, um, and I think that's I think that's legitimate, right? Like, so it, mm-hmm. the Great Litany talks about our forefathers, which um, is not uh, is not correct, right? Like, mm-hmm. we know that that gendered language doesn't doesn't include everyone,
1: right? Um, and then I think just, just kind of zooming out a little bit, uh-huh. you know, maybe one of the reasons for the genesis of the EOW litany was and I've heard this argument that that the great litany is kind of as the 1979 great litany is essentially a right one piece exactly and so you know if most of the Episcopal church is celebrating right two and you want to use the great litany Mm -hmm. then you're essentially joining right one with right two
0: right right and and, you know there beyond just the these and thys uh, and thine um, you know one of the one of the petitions of the Great Litany, um, it asks God to deliver us from all blindness of heart, from pride, vainglory, and hypocrisy. Like, do a lot of people think a great deal about vainglory, or have a good working definition of that in their mind? You know, mm-hmm. like it's a it's a legitimate criticism. Um, like some aspects of right one.
1: Yeah, but it, uh, and you know, I think. Yeah, it certainly is. But uh, you have to have the same conversation around this that you have to have around Rite One, which is to say, you know, this is the first piece of the liturgy in English that we had uh, in in the Anglican Church. And so, yes, the 1979 Book of Common Prayer does revise that litany pretty substantially from what we inherited. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think it also does a good job of keeping it connected connected to the tradition, right? But, so it, think, but
0: but there has to be a way to do that in language that matches the rest of right, too, right? Like there has does, to be. Does a, there?
1: I don't know. I just uh, this is where I become a kind of conservative because I think <laughs> okay. you can't really have the great litany unless you have the these and thys. Um, I mean, obviously, you could literally change the words.
0: Yeah, but I, I just you, I worry that, that that ends up preserving this notion that right one language is inherently more penitential.
1: Oh, okay. Well, that that is a legitimate that is a legitimate criticism.
0: Like we shouldn't but, trot out right one during Lent because it's more penitential. Like that doesn't no, make I, sense.
1: I agree with you. We shouldn't. And at the same time, you know, do we have a problem with the word beseech? Because there's a wonderful rhythm to that repeated petition, yeah, and that goes back to our our conversation that we had about the hymnal and and that idea of of corporate uh rhythm and corporate recitation, yeah, we beseech thee to hear us, good lord there's a there's a rhythm in the way that those words are sung. I think this this piece of the liturgy is often sung. it could also be said. And in either case, you get that you get that rhythm. It goes on for pages. You repeat that phrase for pages. And so, if you if you modified that, if you change that word "beseech" to something you know a little bit more in line with "right," to, Yeah. I just worry that that might be done without an ear to the rhythm of the way that those words have no, been. No, and that's. A, sung.
0: I mean, that's a fair criticism because these are all um, these are all dactyls, right? Aren't they? Mm-hmm. Um.
1: I think so. I mean, there's just, there just seems to be a very natural way to say that. Do you know the book? Chicka, Chicka, boom, boom. I do. Yeah. I think that's a great example of writing prosody uh-huh. with, with a real ear to rhythm. I mean, there are um, certain lines of that book that just want to go into certain meters. Yeah. Um, mamas and pop, mamas and papas and uncles and aunts, um, grab their little deers and brush their pants or whatever, whatever the words are at that point, <laughs> you know, the first part of that becomes a triplet. It becomes sort of, uh, in six, eight time, yeah. a musician would say, you know, da, 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 da. and, uh, I, I haven't heard many other people read that aloud, but my suspicion is they would read that more or less the same way that I do.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Chick-a-boom, chick-a-rack, chick-a-boom, chick-a-rack, chick-a-boom, chick-a-rack, she's singing. Her shoes patty whack in the front and the back, and the yellow curls go swinging. Bells just rang. My eyes lit up and my heart went bang. Her shoes patty whack in the front and the back, to a boom, chick-a-racky-boom. It was way up in Alaska, and the moment... No, and I don't, I don't mean to say that we should be that we should pretend that rhythm and meter don't matter at all. But I do think that there's a way to, to sort of update the linguistic idiom that we're using so that we're not using a right one language great litany with a right two service.
1: Yeah. And, and to be clear, the, the EOW version of the litany was decidedly not that. It was exactly. something else. Exactly. Yeah.
0: It's, it's, I mean, they call it the great litany, but it's, but it's basically an entirely different text.
1: And so, you know, that might be some fertile ground for liturgical revision, and that's sort of what you were talking about anyway. Right, right. Is that, you know, if, and it, you know, one of the results of memorializing the 1979 Book of Common Prayer is I think it should free us up to do that, because we've, we've explicitly said, you know, this text is available and continues to be authorized. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what would, it, what would a real prayer book revision look like? And maybe that's, maybe that's... uh fertile ground for revision at this point.
0: Yeah. And I mean, some of it is that, you know, that not only the great litany, but I would also love to see the prayer of humble access as an option in right to, um, mm, okay. Uh, which currently it isn't. Um, you know, there, there are aspects of, of the book that I think we, we sort of had a mind to, to do things according to a certain way. And, and, and we're committed to doing that regardless of what winds up on the cutting room floor, if that makes yeah. sense. So we yeah. decided that Rite 2 was the way to go. And Rite 1 we ended up preserving just because there was basically a mutiny about it. But we <laughs> didn't update a lot of the Rite 1 historical Anglican materials, especially the Prayer of Humble Access, especially the Great Litany. We didn't update those to match Rite 2. Um, it was authorized to go the other way, right? If you had any contemporary language um, texts in the Book of Common Prayer, nineteen seventy nine, you could change them essentially to traditional language in the context of a right one service.
1: I see, yeah, and and you you run in, you run into that same problem with uh, with baptism. I mean, that that's the that's the idea behind the Anglican service book, right? Is that you have to make the baptism liturgy into rite one because well, such right. a thing does not w- exist
0: and that's why that rubric exists is so that you could in fact change the baptismal liturgy for example or the confirmation rite mm-hmm. into rite one language or any of the proper liturgies for special days for that matter which are written in rite two language
1: right okay
0: um, but you don't have authorization to go the other direction so you, don't, you can't technically update rite, any of the rite one eucharistic prayers to be used at a right to service that's cool yeah
1: so onward and upward with prayer book revision yeah man yeah
0: thanks for joining us today for this episode of all things right and musical if you've enjoyed this episode about prayer book editing and usability we hope you'll tell us about it you can find us on the web at rightandmusical.org. That's R-I-T-E and musical.org. You can also follow the hosts and the show on Twitter, or send us an email at writeandmusical at gmail.com. Please take a minute to rate and review our podcast wherever you, you listen to it. And if you enjoy our podcast, why not tell a friend about it? A very special thanks to our generous patrons who support this show on Patreon, and thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.